Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Without going into a long, long dissertation about what the man brings to the booth and how good he is, I have learned over the years when to duck. I have learned to interpret the hieroglyphics that he calls the telestrator. I can make sense out of it. I know what he's trying to say. We become very good friends. I think uh, in the beginning we were acquaintances. Uh, then out of the respect that we developed for each other, we became closer. And in recent years, we've developed a friendship that uh, we don't really have to say too much about. It's just there, and I hope it always will be. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everybody, this is your cousin Brucey, and you are listening to TV Confidential. And now, not confidential, here's Cousin Ed. And boom, the ball's there. Boom, we cross him. Boom! You know, like they do in wrestling. Boom! Boom, right there. That's a wham block. Ed Roberts, with a reminder that Gabe Jarrett of Real Genius will join us later on the hour. Gabe has a new movie coming out and a new streaming series that will drop sometime in 2022. We hope you stay tuned for that. In the meantime, Steve Beverly is on the line with us as we spend a few minutes paying tribute to the career of John Madden. John Madden, Hall of Fame NFL coach, Super Bowl winning coach of the Oakland Raiders, and the legendary NFL broadcaster who was one of the few broadcasters who called NFL games for all four networks throughout his career. John Madden passed away this past Tuesday, December 28th at the age of 85. You mentioned, Steve, that he was one of the first to really embrace technology in an NFL telecast. He made the Telestrator an art form. I understand he was also the first broadcaster who made it a practice to interview both teams, both of the teams he was going to cover that Sunday or Monday night. He would attend their practices like the Friday before the game and the Saturday before the game. He talked to one team one one day, the other team the other day, and he'd also watch game films the previous week. So he put a lot of effort and preparation into a broadcast as if he were preparing to coach a game. And, and that changed the face of a lot of football broadcasting as opposed to just showing up on game day. He really was a student of the game, and so now it is an expected norm that your broadcast team is not only going to watch practices, but they are also going to uh, have at their disposal uh, a lot of times coaching tape that the average 
shall we say, just the average telecast does not have. They'll get their hands on coaching tape and being able to look at it and see things that are nuances of the game that can help them understand what one team is going to try to do defensively against the other and how the offense is going to try to counteract whatever defense they see uh, in the process. And, and here's what you got to understand is that at the time that Madden started his transition to being a broadcaster, there wasn't really any such thing. We didn't have spread offenses, which the NFL still is a little slow to accept, but they more and more are because they're getting the college quarterbacks who have played it. But you did not have what many people thought of as a dual-threat quarterback. It was still pretty much a, a five- to seven-step drop back to pass. And it, we still had not gotten into the model where almost every team played out of the shotgun then. There were more teams still playing right under center. So he was really one who transitioned from one style of football that was the traditional norm to uh, before he retired as uh, the color commentator on NBC Sunday Night Football uh, to where the game opened up a lot more and the offenses opened up a lot more. So he had to adapt to the game changing from what it was when he was a coach and when he first started in the broadcast booth, uh, and he did that well. By the time we hit the end of his career, uh, he had made a, an excellent transition to a different style of game that we have today. You mentioned that until he became a broadcaster, he did not do a lot of interviews, or at least he was not known nationally for doing a lot of interviews. When he first retired, and I, I, can, I can speak to this from experience because, as you know, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, and one of the treats of, being, of, of living in the San Francisco Bay Area at the time that John Madden was just starting his broadcasting career is that he also had his own... 10, 15-minute sports talk show on, on one of the local stations. He would call in, and the the, the host, uh, for a while he did it with a guy named, with a disc jockey named D, uh, Gene Nelson, who occasionally did fill-in work for the 49ers, and so he was sports savvy. And it, it, it originally kind of began mostly around football because that was his, it was his strong suit, but gradually... They would talk about all other sports, and sometimes Gene would ask a question, and Madden would just go off on whatever ref he was what, what was on his mind. So you would talk about life stuff, you would talk about the weather, you would talk about you know whatever movie he had saw, and it was like you had a personal you had a personal visit with John Madden every day, and he did that he he did that for various stations in the Bay Area for the better part of 30 years and if i remember correctly he even he may have even had a national like a 5 minute national commentary as well so he was very very accessible beyond his nfl work and i think also what is a key here ed is thinking about now he didn't start out with pat summerall as his broadcast partner he really when he he joined cbs uh, a lot of his games he did with vin scully and then there were there was 
actually uh, uh, other broadcasters. I think, I, if I recall correctly, I think even Vern Lundquist worked with him on some NFL games. I remember he's, they started him off with, like, the B team or the C team. If they started him with Scully, it was maybe like the A a a minus team because I don't I don't consider Vin Scully to be a B team broadcaster, but you know what I'm saying. No, no, but Summerall had it, but there had been some talk that Vin Scully might supplant Pat Summerall as the lead broadcaster. Ultimately, Vin left and went to NBC. But what you ended up with though is the fact that when he and Pat Summerall finally connected together in the booth. It was a chemistry, and, and I've said this so much about whether it's entertainment in television, whether it's a game show, whether it's a sitcom, you've got to have chemistry that the viewers can relate to. And Pat Summerall was much more of the less is more type of broadcaster in which he, and he learned the art of that when he was the color announcer for Ray Scott on so many of the Green Bay Packers games during the mid-1960s. And Pat Summerall was one of these, just like Ray Scott, he could just say, first down, Packers. Yeah, yeah. And the whole, the whole room would shake, and then he may not say another word until it would be something like this. Favre, and whoever the receiver is, touchdown. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and And – he was the perfect counterpart for John Madden because he understood the fact that it was important to get John Madden over to the public. And so he frankly, and there was never any jealousy that occurred with that, is that he was a the laid-back guy, John Madden was the talkative guy, and he was very comfortable in that role because he saw that his role was to be for the most part, a public address announcer, and you tell the viewers what the play is, and then Madden goes on and explains everything about it. And they were the perfect combination, and so much so that when Fox finally was able to uh, put up the bucks to get NFL football away from CBS for at least a temporary period back in the 1990s, they also put up the bucks to get both Pat Summerall and John Madden away from CBS to be their lead team in broadcasting. And and they were an amazing combination for the years they were together. And if I remember correctly, because you, you talked a little, you mentioned the Madden Cruiser a little while ago, Steve. If I remember correctly, Summerall would travel at, at some point. Summerall started traveling to games with Madden, you know, like on Monday or Tuesday. So they spent they spent an awful lot of time together off camera, and you don't do that unless you genuinely like each other. No, nah, you, 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 because there, there are, have been, oh my goodness, legends of broadcast duos that just simply did not get along well with each other. They do what they had to do for the sake of the game but that they were not very good friends off camera. Uh, You know, one of the sad stories was about uh, with ESPN's college football, the the lead broadcast team for a number of years was Ron Franklin and Mike Godfrey, the former head coach at Kansas. And when they were at their best, they were a terrific team. But as the years went along, uh, 
ego problems develop between the two of them, and ultimately, uh, Ron Franklin, uh, unfortunately for him, uh, he made uh, a sexist remark to one of the sideline reporters, and that got him fired. But the, the point is there probably would have been a splitting of that team anyway because they didn't get along with each other. And and if you spend as much time as you do with a broadcast partner, it's got to be right or else it eventually will show to the viewers. Mm-hmm. Summerall and Madden were a terrific uh, combination together. And I, I think one of the things about it is, is that Madden worked well with so many different people, eventually becoming Al Michaels' partner. Uh, and, and that was, a, a, again, a combination. Nobody knew whether that would work. And Al Michaels grew to enjoy uh, John Madden as much as uh, Pat Summerall did when they were the combination together. And so it, it was one of those things. He was one of these personalities that whereas a lot of coaches that had been in the broadcast booth didn't, Bill Walsh was another one, that didn't last very long yeah. uh, because they were more X's and O's kind of guys. Well, Madden could be an X's and O's kind of guy, but he could sit there and talk to you like he was your best friend. He understood. He understood the entertainment aspect of what of, of what his job called for. That's exactly right, and and I think he would have worked well in any era of television. Uh, but for the years that we had him, he was he was definitely a game changer in the role of of color analysis, which is why he was in such demand and did ultimately work for every single network did you ever cross paths with him at one point in your broadcast career did he ever because he traveled all over the country and i'm, I'm, I'm guessing at some point you or the or one of the stations you worked at you he may he may have done something from one of the local affiliates unfortunately i never had the opportunity to meet him uh because typically they were on the go so much doing the games, and then he did not, unlike some other broadcasters, I think about when Dick Vermeil was a color commentator for uh, both ABC and CBS, Vermeil occasionally would do reporting, he did some NASCAR reporting when he was at CBS, Mm -hmm. Uh, but Madden stayed with football because that's what he knew, and it was, and I read his, one thing that I enjoyed, I read his book, it was just really, his, his autobiography was really fabulous because you got the idea, even though I know the book was ghostwritten, uh, you got the idea that this was being written the way John Madden would talk it if he explained things to you. I remember when he said that one thing that, that bothered him at one point is that for a number of years, the NFL was the only thing that Fox Sports had as far as a franchise was concerned, and he said, I thought we might start calling it Fox Sport. <laughs> Steve Beverly is with us um, as we uh, spend a few minutes talking about the career of a Super Bowl winning coach, legendary NFL broadcaster John Madden. John Madden passed away this past Tuesday, December 28th. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. Steve Beverly, also the host of Steve Beverly's TV Classics, the weekly two-hour festival of classic shows from the 50s and 60s. The stream every week, eplustv6.com. What is on tap on Steve Beverly's TV Classics in late January and February, Steve? 
Oh, my goodness. Well, we've just completed a, a four-hour tribute. We expanded to four hours uh, with our tribute to Betty White that was done the second week in January. But as we go through uh, this period in, in January and we transition eventually to early February, what we try to look for is shows that I, I try to start the beginning of the year with some shows that we've never had before that are out of the vintage library. And, and again, there's a few shows that people haven't, a lot of people haven't seen, such as Passport to Danger with uh, Cesar Romero as the star. And what a lot of people don't know is that uh, a regular on that syndicated series, it was a, a mystery and intrigue show, was Hugh Beaumont. Mm-hmm. Of, of Leave It to Beaver. Uh, he was a part of that. And then uh, we also, one of the things that, I, a show, an anthology show that I used to enjoy uh, was science fiction theater. It was one of the Ziv shows that mm-hmm. was done. Mm-hmm. And as an anthology, you saw a lot of performers who were on the way up, such as Gene Barry or Barbara Hale. Uh, people like that, that cut their teeth doing those anthology shows. And one show that we get a tremendous amount of response for and that I haven't had in about the last four months, but we're going to do that in late January, is I Led Three Lives, which was a true period piece that was produced from 1953 to 56, but went in reruns all the way into the late 60s on many local stations with Richard Carlson starring as Herb Philbrick the guy who was the counter-spy for the FBI to infiltrate the Communist Party in the United States. And it is, it, you can look at it in some respects as a dated piece of work, but in that era, it was intensely popular because of the fact we were in the middle of the Cold War and because of the fact that you got this feeling any second that Herb Philbrick was going to actually wind up not being able to escape the jeopardy that he was in. And and that show, I run into so many people who say, my goodness, my family never missed that show, and I haven't seen it in a long time. So those are some of the things we've got upcoming. You can enjoy uh, Passport to Danger, I Led Three Lives, and Science Fiction Theater over the next few weeks on Steve Beverly's TV Classics. Your show drops on Saturday night, correct? Saturday night? We're, we're Saturday and Sunday nights from 7 to 10. Uh, that's Central Time, uh, 8 to 11 Eastern Time, and out on the coast it is uh, from 5 to 8. And so we, we actually are now doing two shows a week, uh, uh, Saturday and Sunday, and they're different shows. And then we are also on every night at midnight central time. So for people who are listening on the West Coast, uh, it's at 10 o'clock Pacific time. And so those are the best of TV classics that Monday through Friday nights we're on at at midnight central, 10 o'clock Pacific, uh, with some of the best shows that we've done out of the 314 or so that we've done. All of this you can enjoy at eplustv6.com, eplustv6.com. Steve Beverly, always fun to talk to you. I look forward to our next conversation. Hey, likewise, Ed, and Happy New Year to you. And to you as well. Gabe Jarrett will join us when we come back on TV Confidential. This Week in TV History now has its own podcast. You can enjoy This Week in TV History with Tony Figueroa on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you find podcasts. 
be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411. Or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.